Well, once you take your Bibles, turn with me back to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, and if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. So we begin reading in verse number 10. Haggai chapter 2, verse number 10. The Bible says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body, Touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were when one came to a heap of 20 measure, and there were but 10, and when one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there was but 20. And I smote you with the blessing and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hand, yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, for the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Is the, the seed yet in the barn? Yea. And yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. Let's pray. Father, I just pray today and I ask, that, Father, you in a very, very real way would make this text absolutely come unlocked before our very eyes and our heart. And, Father, I'll thank you for the truth that you uh, want us to see through this text. Use it in our lives for your honor and for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to look with me for just a moment at uh, this passage that we have before us. Have you ever had a time where you were discontent? In other words, you were, there was something that was just made you to be discontent. Maybe it had to do with a time of service and that service or that ministry or whatever you were embarked upon was not producing what you thought it should produce. Maybe you had expectations about God, um, that he would do this if you did this, and, and, and those expectations were not being met. Maybe it was just God didn't work in the timing that you thought he ought to work or in the way that you thought he ought to work. Sometimes you and I can get discontent in service. And can I tell you that's exactly where Israel is. Now, what we find here in this passage, now remember, in chapter 1, he dealt with their disinterest. 
In other words, they said it's not time yet to build a temple. And God said, consider your ways. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, he dealt with their discouragement. You remember in their discouragement, God came along and gave them an encouraging word to help them to understand, I am with you. But here, he's going to deal with their discontent. Now, you say, well, what was causing their discontent? Well, it was simply this. God had said to them something that if they did this, he would do that. And they thought they were doing that. But yet they did not see God doing what God said he was going to do. Now, here was the problem. They began to question. Number one, should they continue the work? Or number two, did God go back on his word? Well, I want you to listen to me. God never goes back on his word. So something was going on that they needed to see. And God was going to show them what that something was. Now, with that being said, let's look at this passage together. I want you to look first at the problem of discontent. Now, in verse 10, what you have is a, a, another specific date. Now, why is this date important? Because it tells us they're three and a half months into the building of the temple. Now, remember when they got discouraged, they were three and a half weeks into the building of the temple. Now, they're three and a half months into the building of the temple. And now, all of a sudden, they begin to get discant. Why? Well, as I told you, God had said to them that if you will build my temple, I'll bless you. And so they've now three and a half months into building the temple, and in their way of thinking, in their way of seeing, they don't see where God has blessed them like he, they thought he ought to bless them. And this was causing their discontent. Now, I want you to look at the focus of the people. And this is what we get to, to the, the very essence of their discontent. They had a focus that was misplaced. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? Well, remember, they were thinking in the realm of if we give ourselves to this work, God will put favor upon us and God will bless us. In other words, their focus was not on the glory of God. Their focus was on what do we get out of what we're about to do. In other words, they were working for three and a half months, and in their eyes, they say, what do we have to show for it? I mean, our crops are not any better than they were. Our barns are not any fuller than they were. Hey, listen, I think we ought to just quit working, and I think we ought to just go back to doing what we were doing. And that's what was taking place. And so they had a focus problem. Now listen, folks. I want you to understand this very clearly. God's not as much interested in having our hands as he is having our hearts. Now you say, what do you mean by that? Well, can I tell you, if God's got your heart, he's going to have your hands and your feet and your ears and your mouth and your eyes. If God's got your heart, then God can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish through you and I. But here's the reality. The reality is their heart was centered on not the glory of God, but the favor of God. Listen, you can never, ever embark upon service or ministry with the attitude that if I do this, God will do that. Can I tell you, if God saved you today, if he don't do one other thing for you the rest of your life, you already have more than you deserve. And the understanding is this. All that we do, we do for the glory of God. Simple. Period. Nothing more, nothing less. In other words, if God puts his favor upon me, glory. If God doesn't put his favor upon me, glory. As long as God is glorified. Amen. And they had lost focus. 
The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6, not by with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the what? Heart. Let us draw near, Hebrews 10, 22, with a true heart in full assurance. In other words, you and I are to come to the Lord in a heart's attitude that says, God, whatever you do, I just want to be obedient to you for the glory of yourself. It's all for your glory. Nothing more and nothing less but your glory. Now, this focus problem led to their failure. So look at the failure of the people as we continue to look at this problem with discontent. You remember in chapter 1, what was the problem with the people? Well, they were so focused on building their own houses that they were neglecting the house of God. It was laying in waste. And so therefore, here was what was going on. They had a self-problem. Their self-interest was really what caused their failure. Because what was taking place is, even though they had embarked upon the work of God, they still had an attitude of self-centeredness. In other words, they were working for themselves. You say, no, they're, they're doing God's work. Oh, listen, they were doing God's work, but they were doing it for themselves. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. A lot of times in ministry, I see this over and over again, especially in the pastor. A lot of times, pastors are more interested in, in doing the good job so they can take the next step in the church ladder. In other words, a bigger church. And can I tell you, if that's the motivation of the pastor, can I tell you, can, can I love on you just a minute? They need to get out of the ministry. Because reality, here's the reality. You and I, whatever God's led us to do, whatever God's called us to do, we should have one single motivation, and that's the glory of God, period, nothing more, nothing less. And yet these people were had this self-interest. They thought that, listen, if we just do what God said to do, if we give our hands to this work, if we give our, our, our energy and our sweat of our brow to this work, then God is going to fill our barns, He's going to bless our crops, and we're going to have all we need, and we're going to have, we're going be comfortable we're going to be happy and everything's going to be glorious and i want to tell you something that's their failure i mean let's take witnessing for instance okay you know why most people don't witness they're scared you say what are they scared of well they're going to look bad i mean what if they ask me something i don't know the answer to or, 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 or even worse, what if I go up there and, and they slam the door in the face? That's going to hurt my feelings. And, and therefore, we don't give ourselves to witnessing because of what? We're fearful of self. What's it going to do to me? It's going to make me look bad. And can I tell you something? The Great Commission and every obedient thing that God has for us that we're to obey, can I tell you? You only should have one concern. Lord, are you going to be glorified by this? In other words, God, if not one person responds properly to me, as long as you're glorified, praise your name. I told this story in the early service. I want to tell it in this service. Paris Reedhead, guy that preached years ago, has already went home to be with the Lord. And Paris Reedhead felt led of the Lord to go down to a, a small area of South America 
uh, as a missionary. And here was his mindset and his heart when he went. He tells this in one of his sermons. He said, I went down there because he said, I knew that those people needed Jesus. And I was going to tell them about Jesus. And I went down there because they needed Jesus and they needed to hear who Jesus was. And that was his heart and his mindset when he went down there. So listen, his wife couldn't go. And so he was going to go down there for a period of time. He left his wife at home. He went down to that South American country on the mission field in obedience to God. He was there about two or three months, and nothing was taking place. I mean, the people wasn't responding. They wasn't listening. They didn't care. And Paris Reed had just an absolute brokenness, laid there in his bungalow where he was sleeping at night. And he began to cry out to God. And he said, God, I don't understand. Why in the world did you have me leave my wife and come down here? Why in the world did you have me come down here? These people are no, don't want to know Jesus. They, some of them already heard about Jesus. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And you sent me down here. Why, God? Why, God? Why, God? Here's what, here's what God did. God opened his eyes and God spoke to his heart. And he said, he said to his, to his heart, he said, what makes you think I sent you down here for them? He said, I sent you down here for my glory. And at that moment, Paris Reed had broke. And when Paris Reed had broke, here's what he began to pray. He said, God, he said, listen, Father, he said, if I, if I, I'm going to share your truth, I'm going to share your gospel. And if not one person gets saved, as long as you're glorified, praise your holy name. And whatever takes place, it's to your glory and your glory alone. In other words, he got his eyes off of man, got his eyes on the Lord. Can I tell you what happened when he prayed that? God swept through that place and saved a bunch of folks. What happened? He got his focus right. You see, guys, we don't witness for others. We witness for the glory of God, and then God touches others. Here's the reality. When you and I come to the place in our lives, listen, we're, we're next Sunday, what new beginning at Liberty. Can I tell you something? I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You and I need to pray before next Sunday that everything I and everything we and everything we as a church body do in obedience to God has one single motivation. Every Sunday school class I teach, every time I pour water at VBS, every time I sing a song, every time I do this or do that in obedience to what God's laid up on my heart, that there's only one motivation is God, you're glorified, nothing more, nothing less. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, if we do that, we'll witness more than we've ever witnessed before. We'll serve more than we've ever served before. And can I tell you what else will happen? These baptistry waters will stay stirred. You see their failure. is they were seeking first their pleasure, their comfort, instead of the kingdom of God. They were working for the favor of God instead of the glory of God. Why do you do what you do? What's your motivation? You see, this was the problem of their discontent. They just thought God you're not doing what you said you were going to do. And we don't like it. Because remember, God told them in chapter 1, if you work, I'll bless. They were working, but they didn't see God blessing. So they got discontent. 
But see, what they didn't understand is they had a sin problem. And you say, what was it? Misplaced motivation. Now, let me show you secondly the petition in the discontent. Now, this is going to throw you, but it's, it's okay. We can be thrown every now and then. Y'all say amen. This petition was not by the people. It was by God. You say, what do you mean? Well, look, look with me at verse 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. So who's speaking here? The Lord is. He says, ask now the priest. So he's speaking to Haggai. He says, ask now the priest concerning the law, saying. Now you say, wait a minute, Lord. Why do you need to have anybody ask the priest about the law? You're the one that wrote the law. I mean, you are the truth of the law. Embodied. Why do you need to ask the priest? Well, see, there was something that God said through the law, and, and it's found in Deuteronomy. It's found in Deuteronomy 17, verse 8 through 11. We're not going to read it, but I want to just summarize it for you for time's sake. Here's what God said. He said, if there's ever a dispute, if there's ever something that comes up that you don't know the answer to, and the law does not give you specific answer to that dispute, then what you do is you go to the priest. And here's what the Lord said. When you go to the priest, however they answer it, that is the law of God. So in other words, if there's something that comes up that you can't find, all right, God said, blah, 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 and you can't, it's not specific about what God says about it. In other words, it may be one of those areas that you think is a gray area. By the way, there is no gray area, but you may think it's a gray area. And so you go to the priest, you say, all right, priest, we have a problem. Here's our problem. What do you say? And whatever the priest say, God said, you obey it as if it was the law. That's what Deuteronomy 17 says. But it's not the people going to the priest, it's God going to the priest. You say, why in the world would God go to the priest to ask hell? Because here's what it's saying. The people are not interested in what God says. Matter of fact, they're doubting the Lord. You say, what do you mean? Well, they're saying, hey, God, you're not coming through on your promise. You said you'd bless us if we were. You're not blessing us. Hey, we are questioning whether you even keep your promises. Therefore, why would God go to the people with a word? Unless until they come to the place of trusting him again. So here's what he does. He says, Haggai, you go to the priest. You ask them two questions. Because if they're not going to listen to me, maybe they'll listen to them. So God came, and here's what he did. Now watch. Notice with the diagnosis of the people. Here's how God diagnosed the people through, through questioning the priest. He says first in verse 12, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment with this skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said what? No. In other words, he's dealing here with the, with the significance of sin. You say, what do you mean? Sin is so sinful that holiness cannot be transferable. In other words, here's what he said. In, in that day, there were a few sacrifices in which were brought in which the priest could take of the meat of the sacrifice after it has been upon the altar and eat of it. God would give permission to do that. But that meat was deemed to be holy meat. And so here's what he said. When you take that meat that God's given you permission to eat and you put it in your skirt, you put it in your garment, he said, does it make your garment holy? Well, the priest said, no. He said, does it make anything else it touches holy? Well, the priest said, no. He said, so in other words, if nothing you can do can transfer to make yourself holy, he said, then let me ask you a question. Do you think you 
serving me and building my temple. A temple where my holy presence will one day dwell. A temple where you're going to worship a holy God. A temple that I have ordained. A temple that I have commanded you. Do you think just by obeying me that makes you holy? Now listen to what I'm about to say. There's a multitude of people going to break hell wide open because of this mindset. Because there's a mindset out there today that thinks, well, listen, if, if, if I just show up and I give my, if I give my token visit, my token offering, and, and, and listen, hey, every now and then, I'm really going to go out of bounds and I'm going to say yes to VBS and I can't believe I'm going to do it. Well, I'm really going to step out on a cliff here and God's going to see what all I'm doing and God's not going to send me to hell because listen, I'm giving myself to service. I'm giving myself to obedience and God's going to bless me. God's going to, transfer holiness to me can i tell you that's a lie there's only one way you and i can get holiness and that's by the righteousness of the lord jesus christ and salvation you can join every church in america you can have every office of every church in america you can be baptized in every baptistry in every church in america you can give to every church in America. And if you've not come to the place of saving faith that produced repentance and surrender in your life in which the Lord Jesus come and took his residence out of you, you're lost. You see, there's the significance of sin. Holiness is not transferable. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, For God hath not called us to uncleanliness, but unto what? Holiness. So if holiness only comes through Christ, when God saved you, do you receive Christ? Then what's the only service God accepts? Holiness. Luke chapter 1, verse 74 and 75. Zechariah gave this word about the Lord the Messiah that was born, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. How? In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Here's what he's saying. Yes, you're doing the work that I told you to do. But yet your heart you're working for a blessing. You're not working for my glory. And your work don't make you holy. Y'all with me? Say amen. Now, watch the next thing. Not only do you see the significance of sin, but the spreading of sin. Look at the second question. Look at verse 13. He says here in verse 13... He said, then said Haggai, again, he's talking to the priest, if one that is unclean by a dead body, now what does he mean by that? Well, the law said this, that if you touch a dead body or you step on a grave, you're considered unclean. You must then be bathed in the mikvah and bring a sacrifice for your cleansing. And here's what he said. He said, if unclean by a dead body, touch any of these things, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. So in other words, holiness is not transferable, but defilement is transferable. 
So in other words, they're doing this work, and they're working diligently. Three and a half months, they've sweated their brow, going up into the mountains, cutting lumber, bringing it down, building the house of God. But the whole time they're doing it for a paycheck. And God says that's unclean. So whatever they touch, what is it? Unclean. Now listen to me. Y'all love me? Say amen. If somebody has to twist your arm to serve, has to beg you to serve, and you serve with this kind of mindset, well, they need me, and that preacher, he just asked me, and I can't tell that preacher no, so I'm going to do it. Can I say something in love? God's not going to be anywhere near it. But instead, if God prompts your heart, and in prompting your heart, you in the consciousness that God saved you and showed his mercy and grace to you when you didn't deserve it, and out of an affection of love towards him and wanting to be obedient to him and you know God is impressed upon your heart you you give yourself to that act of service or that position of service or whatever it may be and your mindset and your attitude is this Lord, Lord listen, I, I'm not equipped to do this but you're more than sufficient I, I don't know what's going to come out of this but as long as you're glorified that's all that matters is you're glorified then I want to tell you something God will absolutely absolutely Set on that ministry and bless it supremely. This is what he's saying to him. Now notice verse 14. Not only the significance of sin, the stench of sin. I mean the significance of sin, the spreading of sin, but the stench of sin. Watch what he says in verse 14. Then said Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation. Now remember, this is an amazing word. You say, why? Remember in the beginning of chapter 1 when they were building their own houses and the Lord was going to tell them to consider their ways? He went to Haggai and he said, you say to this people. Now you say, wait a minute, they were God's people. They were, but they wasn't acting like it. But then when they came to the place of saying, all right, Lord, we're going to give our hands to your work. Then here's what the Lord said, my people. But now they've been discontent, and now they want to give up the work. Their motivation is wrong. They're, 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 what they're working for is wrong. And now all of a sudden God said, well, you're not acting like my people again. You've reverted back to the way you were before you started building. And he said, therefore, this people and this nation, even though they're my people, they're not acting like my people. And so he said, you speak to this people. Why would he say that? Watch verse 14. Every work of their hands... And that which they offer, there is unclean. The defilement of their misappropriated heart is a stench. It's defiled everything they're doing. This is what the Lord was saying to them in that day. Now, that's all the bad news. You ready for the good news? Say amen. amen. How many agree God's always there to help us? Whether we're disinterested, discouraged, or discontent. Aren't you glad God's there to help you? 
Well, God's going to help his people. And by the way, they're going to repent. I'll show it to you in just a minute. Look with me thirdly at the proclamation and their discontent. The first thing you see is there's a required reminder. God had to remind them of something he's already reminded them of before. Notice what he said. He says in verse 15, And now I pray you consider this day and upward, for before a stone was laid upon the stone in the temple of the Lord. In other words, he says, I want you to, rem I want you to consider, I want you to think strongly about what your life was like before you laid the first stone in the temple. I want you to be reminded of what I said to you and what I was doing before you ever laid the first stone. You remember in chapter 1, he, he told the people, he said, listen, he said, you, you, you would go out and you'd work in the fields. You would labor. You would plow. You would plant. You would water. You would pull out weeds. You were giving yourself so hard to the work of the field. And it brought forth no thing. Why? God said, I blew up on it that it wouldn't bring forth anything. Because you wasn't obeying me. And God says, do you remember that? Now remember, what was their disconnect? God, you're not blessing us like you said you would. You're not showing favor. Hey, our crops are still not growing like they should. And so God went back and he says, remember? When you were walking in sin, what'd you get from it? Nothing. And so he takes them back and he reminds them of this truth. And when he reminds them of this truth, he says to them in verse 16 and 17, Since those days where one came, a heap was 20 measures, but there were 10. And he goes on and explains that in verse 17, I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hell and all the labors of your hands. And you turned not unto me. You wouldn't repent. I tried to help you. You wouldn't repent. And now, you're working. And you're working for me. But I'm still holding back the crops. Because see, the reason you started working was because you wanted me to give you and not because you wanted to bring glory to my name. You see, it's not that I went back on my promise. It's just you've not surrendered to me. You surrendered your hands. You're working physically. But you've not surrendered your heart. Does that make sense? So a required reminder would naturally bring forth a required repentance. Why would God remind them if he wasn't wanting them to turn back to him? Well, can I tell you some good news? They did. Watch verse 18. Now watch this. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. 
What is this? It's the same thing he said to him in chapter 1. Consider your ways. Think about it. He says now, Israel, think about it. Think about it. Yeah, I didn't bless you before when you were trying to build your own houses instead of my house. I'm not blessing you now because you're, you're not doing it for any other reason but for self-gain and not for my glory. He says, but think about it. Think about it. Consider it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. And all of a sudden, can I tell you what happened? They did. You say, how do you know they did? Because verse 19... You say, well, preacher, are you sure? Oh, yes, I'm positive. Because, listen, what happened is right here, right now, they began to think about it. They said, oh, listen, we went wrong. It's not for us. It's for him to his glory. From this day forward, get your focus right. Get your motivation right. Understand why you're doing what you're doing. And what come out of it? The promise in their discontent. The first thing God done in verse 19 is show them that even though they thought that he had just forsaken them and blessing them, he showed them he never had. Now, were they producing what they could have produced? No. But were they without? No. Notice what he says here in verse 19. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yay! In other words, are you hungry? No, why? Because I provided for you even in your disobedience. Even in your discontent. Even though your motivation was wrong, I provided. Now, did I provide what I wanted to provide? No. Did I give you what I wanted to give you? No. But did I give you enough to, to make it? Yes. You remember the children of Israel in the wilderness? Were they walking in obedience? Well, they were walking in unbelief. Would y'all say amen to that? Did God just write them off and say, well, listen, I'm not going to help them at all. They can just start today. No. What did God do? Well, he gave them some manna. Does he wanted to give them manna? No. He wanted to give them the corn of the land of Canaan, but they wouldn't obey. But he still provided for them. He gave them manna. Did he live the soles of their shoes to wear out? No. Did he give them a guide by day and a by night? Yes. Did he, did he give them water from a rock? Yes. Did he protect them when he needed to protect them? Yes. So what are you saying? He's saying to the people, he said, you think that I'm not true to my word. You think I've forsaken you. You think that I don't give anything back to you. He said, I got news for you. If it wasn't for me, you'd be starving. You better be glad God still is faithful when we're faithless. You better be glad that God still never leaves us nor forsakes us, even though sometimes in our heart we forsake him. You better be glad that God's grace and mercy is sufficient. And then he says this to him: As yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and olive tree hath not brought forth. What is he saying? See, this is December. If you take this date that he gives here, this is December of the month, of the year. And what was true about December? That's when you planted and you plowed and you began the harvest. And here's what he said. He said, listen, he says, your olive tree, they've not brought forth their fruit yet. It's not time. You're just planting them. He said, your vines, they're not brought forth the fruit of the grapes yet. Why? You're just planting them. He said, the, 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 the pomegranates and the figs, they've not brought forth their fruit yet. Why? Because you just planted them. He said, but now you've repented. Now you have the right motivation. Now you have the right heart. Now you're doing it for the glory of me instead of for your own pleasure. So here's what I'm going to say to you. Just step back and watch what I do. I will bless you from this day forward. Watch from this day will I bless you.
He says, you better get your barns ready. I'm going to fill them. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. They're not supposed to be working for gain. They're not. Now, all of a sudden, they're working for the glory of God. But yet, God says, now, because your motivation's right, I will bless you. Why do we teach? Why do we serve? Why do we obey? Why do we do anything that we do? So I can get a blessing? I've had people tell me I go on the mission field because every time I do, I get blessed. Well, can I tell you, that's probably a true statement. That's not the reason to go. You go for the glory of the Lord. For no other reason. But here's the reality. This principle also falls over in the New Testament. Because if my motivation is that God be glorified in everything I do, I'm going to surrender and yield to him in areas of service I never would have thought before. I'm going to give myself to things that I never would have given myself before in obedience to him. Can I tell you what's going to happen? Liberty, listen to me. Y'all love me, say amen. What would happen this week if every one of us in here and in the early service prayed in such a way that if there was any wrong motivation in our hearts, any at all, God would show us, we would confess it, we would repent, and we would come here next Sunday when we begin this new beginning at Liberty, and we would just be vessels that say, here I am, Lord, Send me, and for no other reason than you be glorified. What would happen? Can I tell you what would happen? This church wouldn't be big enough. Our water bill would go through the roof because we'd be filling the baptistry every week. But at any time, at any moment, that we began to go back and say, God, because of what you're doing, I'm going to continue to do. It'll dry up just as quick as he gave it. Amen? So here's your invitation. What's your motivation? What's your motivation for not obeying God? What's your motivation when you do obey God? Why do you do what you do? Maybe today, you just need to get on an old-fashioned altar. And you just need to be honest. And say, well, you know, preacher, I'm just going to be honest. I kind of like the attention. 
In other words, here's what you're saying. Lord, my motivation stinks. You say, well, preacher, I can't say that, Lord. Well, that's what he thinks about it. Our, self is, our, our, filthy, our, our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. What does that mean? A stench. My motivation stinks. But Lord, right now I'm asking you from this day forward, from this day, from this day forward, that I'd only be about one thing, that you're glorified. No matter what somebody says, no matter what somebody doesn't say, no matter how somebody responds, no matter how somebody doesn't respond, no matter what takes place or no matter what doesn't take place, I just want you to be glorified. And then you would say, now, Lord, here I am, a vessel at your disposal. Can I tell you? we all did that from this day the Lord would bless beyond our understanding from this day what was the day the Lord started the day they repented from this day now, I mean great God's been good to us at liberty y'all say amen but what do you think he wants to do Can I tell you, whatever he has done is just a mercy drop of what he wants to do. From this day. Now, you may be here today and you just have to be honest. You really have to be honest with yourself and say, you know, I really thought that if I gave myself to these things, that God would show favor upon me and God wouldn't send me to hell. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing you could ever, ever do no matter how zealous, no matter how committed, that would allow God to make you one and right with Him. You know why? Because holiness is not transferable. Your work does not transfer into holiness. But can I tell you this? Even though holiness is not transferable, here's what holiness is. It's imputed and imparted. By the person of the Lord Jesus. So when he becomes your life. When he becomes your Lord. Guess what happens? You have. Righteousness and holiness. And can I tell you? That's the only thing God will ever accept. So. Invitation. Is up to you. Father, have your will and your way in this time of invitation. And Father, I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name.